This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 10 of Retired Racehorse Radio on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, Riding Warehouse, Cashel Products, and Smooth Stride Jeans. Retired Racehorse Radio is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse, brought to you in cooperation with the Thoroughbred Makeover and New Vocations. And we have a show for you today. We have a big conversation with Gina Rarick, a former American journalist and track trainer who is making waves with her recently published New York Times article, How to Save the American Racehorse. We answer your training questions when it comes to your own off-the-track thoroughbreds, and we talk polo with thoroughbred makeover competitor and our RRP spotlight rider, Justin Powers, and what he looks for in a thoroughbred to go from the track to the polo field. And, of course, we have our new vocations, Winter Circle, Adoptable Horse of the Week. So listen in. Vous êtes en train d'écouter les chaînes de les chevaux de réforme et And they're off on Retired Racehorse Radio, the podcast that is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse. This is Jamie Jennings of Norman, Oklahoma. And this is Joy Hills from Kalamazoo, Michigan. And you're listening to Retired Racehorse Radio. Jamie, what? You and Baby Grew are making like headlines on Facebook. How are you guys doing? <laughs> the auditors are like, I feel like every time I see you guys jump now, I'm like, is he going to make it? When's his little like baby thoroughbred <laughs> explosion going to happen? Yeah. So, so we excited. have, we have now jumped three jumps in a row. So I don't know Woo! if we're making headlines on Facebook, but I mean, to me, I, I was pretty proud well, of him. So considering four episodes ago, you asked me to stop the rain because you were so far behind. So <laughs> I think true. you're doing a pretty good job. <laughs> that poor horse has got to be so sick of me. I, I mean, I, I think it was this show, maybe like two or three shows ago, we're like, oh my God, the makeover is when Jen was on. The makeover is only four months away. And I was like, oh my God, it's only four months away. I got to freak out and train my horse. So he currently, baby group right now, is over at a neighbor's farm because I'm now taking him places and then bringing him back. So he's having a um, he's having a play date and a slumber party at a neighbor's farm. He's uh, they- probably that kid who's like, I don't want to go, but you made him go. Yeah, he always is like, "Mm, I don't really want to get in that trailer. And then he's like, "Mm, maybe I do. And so he gets in and then he's like, I don't really want to be in here. And then I'm like, drive, drive, drive. (laughs) (laughs) Got to keep his brain busy by keeping him balanced. So he has made some, he's made some progress and. It, thank you for, for saying that. Yeah, we, we, we've had some ups and downs and it's just, you know, I look at all these other, there's a, there's a makeover trainers page on Facebook and all these people are like, Oh God, my lead changes over the two, six course this Listen, past nothing weekend good comes from comparing yourself to someone else. Gosh, it is true. I mean, I remember at Land Rover this year, Alisa Wallace had hers and he's like loping along, jumping oxers, flying change, loop back Can around. Can also bring up that Alisa Wallace like, comp- like competed at badminton though? <laughs> like, 
I, I just don't, I'm just trying to help you here. Let me rebuild Thank that you. self-esteem. Jane. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Yes. No, I, I still have not determined what sport he's going to compete in. I did. I did. I was leaning between the two and I really think that he is going to be the one that I take. His name is lost my way, which is perfect for me. Cause I'm always lost. So we're going to take him, you know, Lord will and the Creek don't rise. Uh, we're going to take him and, I, like I said, I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know what sport we're going to compete in. I don't know anything else other than we've now jumped three cross rails in a row. I lived my whole (laughs) life by winging it and somehow things have worked out. So I believe in you, Jamie. Well, thank you. Yeah. yeah, I've got one (laughs) because I know my co-host on horses in the morning. He's Glenn. He's also our producer here. You can come in and talk Glenn because I know you're just waiting for me to screw up. I mean, that's all he goes for is like, how can we embarrass her on the air? So Glenn, the the more embarrassed you are, the better ratings we get. So it's perfect. Uh Yeah, exactly. No, thank you. Good marketing strategy. It is. Yeah. It's all at her expense. (laughs) 10 years. It's Worked. I'm just radiating positivity today. <laughs> it's are. been longer than that, Glenn. Thank you very much. Um, but thank you, Joy. You are you are the 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 most the sweetest person so far. So anyway, yeah. So we've got a great show. We're gonna do a couple training tips here. Believe it or not, I am actually a certified Monty Roberts instructor, so I do actually know how to train horses. And so we have some listeners that have some some questions, just a couple, and we'll go through those. And we're gonna have a good show. It'd be great. I'm excited. They had been together for years, since he was just a colt. When he got stubborn, she would gently coax him on. When he got scared, she would reassure him and stroke him gently on the neck. She spent hours building his confidence, his strength, his balance, teaching him to dance. Pirouette, passage, piaf, the final salute. The crowd jumped to its feet and cheered. It was the moment they had spent a lifetime training for. But all she could think about was how special he was and how she loved him. This love story is brought to you by Endure Extra, providing high-fat calories, direct-fed microbials, and natural vitamin E to support optimal condition and performance. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Call 859-873-2974 or visit kppusa.com to order today. Well, this is going to be kind of a controversial, but I think important topic for us to talk about today. And with everything that's been happening in the racehorse world in America, I am with Gina Rarick, who is a French racehorse trainer, but an American by by heart. And by birth. She wrote, <laughs> yeah, and birth, yeah. And she wrote an amazing article that was published in the New York Times recently called How to Save the American Racehorse. Gina, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. So before we get into the heavy part, I think it'd be great for you to introduce yourself to our listeners. Give us a quick bio about who you are. Well, I'm a racehorse trainer in France. It was my second career. I was a journalist before I was training horses. I used to work at the International Herald Tribune, a newspaper based in Paris. And I left that job in 2008 to start training racehorses full time. I had been training before that as an amateur trainer, what we call a permit holder here in Europe. And I'd had a few horses of my own in training from the year 2000 forward. And now I'm a public trainer with client horses since the past 10 years, 11 years now. Awesome. So, I mean, you've gotten to see both sides of it, which is, I think, the most critical part about this opinion article that you wrote. And with everything happening at Santa Anita, I think Santa Anita is probably the the biggest headline in the racehorse world. 
in your article, you gave a opinion that it wasn't so much of yes or no on racing in America, but how Americans can help to preserve the sport. Can you go into that well, a little bit? Yes, I, I, we need to be absolutely clear. I am not at all anti-racing. I love the sport of horse racing. It's why the thoroughbred breed exists. It, it's it's why, what I'm doing for a living, and I absolutely love horse racing. I think it can be an, an absolutely majestic, wonderful sport. What I don't like is what the horse racing system in America has become and the rate of accidents that they have in America. And Santa Anita has just become a flashpoint because they've had the current streak. But this is not new. Various other tracks have had similar streaks of mortality. It seems to come in streaks. I don't know why. But Aqueduct had one. Del Mar had one. Saratoga had their problems. This, this is not a Santa Anita problem. This is a systemic problem in American racing. But I'm not, racing needs to change. It needs, definitely needs not to die. It needs to change, but it needs to change quickly. So what are some of the ways that you propose that we make some changes here in America? Well, the biggest difference between American racing and racing in the rest of the world is the use of medication in racing and training. And obviously the biggest difference is Lasix, which 99% of American racehorses uh, run every start after having been given on race day. And that's something that's not permitted anywhere else in the world in thoroughbred racing. There are a lot of reasons that trainers say they need this medication, but the medication is the biggest difference between between American racing and the rest of the world. And the other biggest difference is that American racetracks are all uniform. They're all flat. They all run the same direction and horses are trained on the track. So they're not trained in a particularly horse-friendly environment. And that's the difference too between uh, between uh, American racing and, and a lot of the rest of the world. So let's get to the Lasix part. For those listeners that might not know what Lasix is, you do you want to explain kind of what it is? Sure. And then- Lasix is a, a was a was a human uh, medication. It's a powerful diuretic. It's often given to people with congestive heart failure to to uh, to eliminate fluid in the lungs, usually senior citizens. It's an extremely powerful diuretic, and it's given to racehorses to ostensibly prevent a condition called exercise-induced pulmonary hemorrhaging, which is a very fancy word for, for a fancy term for, for bleeding in the lungs induced by exercise that is too intense for the, for the animal that's exercising. So what Lasix is supposed to do is, is reduce the incidence of EIPH or exercise-induced pulmonary hemorrhaging. There's very little scientific evidence that it actually does this. There's a lot of scientific evidence that says it's a performance-enhancing drug, which is why it's banned in every human sport around the world. And it's the performance-enhancing drug, and it's not scientifically proven to do anything about exercise-induced pulmonary hemorrhaging. And I remember when Lasix started being administered, and I remember you could find on the program, you know, you'd look at your program, and there'd be three, maybe three horses that had an L next to their name, which means they were running on Lasix. And it seems like all of a sudden, every horse is running on Lasix. So were the horses that were running on it, did they have their performance enhanced? And that's why the rest took it? Right, exactly. When Lasix was originally introduced in a lot of the states that allowed it, the horse being treated with Lasix had to show a scope that it was a, was an actual bleeder, that it actually had a problem that this medication might help. The rules for that relaxed dramatically and very quickly when other people figured out that the horse is running on first-time Lasix. Any, any better knows that the horse running first-time Lasix because it will move them up. And they say, we don't know why. 
well, it's, it's a performance enhancing drug. It causes the horse to lose 20 to 50 kilos in body weight, just peeing out all the, all the, all the excess fluid. So the horse is running its race in a dehydrated state, but we don't know why it's a performance enhancing drug, but horses that are running on Lasix will do better than a horse that's not. Interesting. And then you also mentioned too, about the conditions of American tracks versus what's happening in the rest of the world. Well, in American, American racing, first of all, you have a lot of short racing, uh, well, by our, by European standards, very short races. The program is built around sprinting. For us in Europe, anything under seven furlongs, seven furlongs and, and less is a sprint. And we have the distance of a mile, which you actually call a mile, even in France, 1600 meters. Then we have the middle distance and the stairs races. For us, 2000 and 2400 meters, which is a mile and an eighth to a mile and a half is a middle distance or classic distance race. And then we have races up to two miles for the stairs. In America, you only have a handful of races at a mile and a half in the entire country over the entire year. So the entire program is based on short distance sprinting, which by nature is is more difficult, more uh, much harder on the horse, much harder on the skeleton of the horse. Speed kills, uh, speed kills in, in, in racing and, and, and in life. So uh, that emphasis on speed is not very healthy for the horses. Also, you are training on the track where you run. And you're training always in the same direction every day. You run left-handed only. You never train any other direction. The horse is, is gunned around one turn left-handed. So it's just not, I mean, it's just not a very logical way to, to train a well-rounded athlete. And, you know, as somebody who takes horses off the track and retrains them, that is one of the most frustrating part of taking a horse is that they are so either balanced or unbalanced to the left. I find that horses that right. come off the track um, that haven't spent a long time on the track, they're, t and this is going to be weird, but they're typically better to the right. And I almost think that's because they, everything's to the left and they're right-handed and they couldn't yeah, make it. That's the side that hasn't been worn down yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then the, but the ones that are kind of more of the war horse type, it is almost dang impossible to teach him to, to balance to the, on a right lead, uh, especially yeah, on a circle, yeah. which means most of us have to ride in a smaller circle. Yeah, we don't how, have a how straight bad line. Is that, huh? <laughs> it's, we it's, don't train like that at all here. We, we have, we have, um, we have training gallops, which are, uh, and we have left, right, straight lines. We have every distance we go up and down hills. We, we do a lot more. We, we, we finish with a much more well-rounded horse. For example, my, my training center, uh, there's a, a, a track that is a seven furlong oval track that I do my sort of what they call a petite canter, my, my sort of three quarter speed work every day. But that track changes directions every week. So wow. we'll be running left handed, left handed one week and right handed the next week. That's um, a fairly easy change that like we it's, could do. It's an easy solution. I don't understand why that isn't implemented. It's just, I mean, it's just a no brainer for me. And it's something that can be done without any cost to anybody. Just, you know, you just put up a sign, you're going right-handed today, you're going left-handed yeah. today. And, you know, you either change it every every other day or every other week, but, you know, change direction once in a while. It doesn't it's kill anybody. It makes complete sense that you would want to build up both sides of a horse. And so my question is, I, I mean, it's so logical and it's so easy. Why don't they do it? I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. It just seems to me just so completely obvious as, as just some, some one small thing that you can do. 
I don't, I don't know why, but we also have a different way of training. We don't have this ponying and, you know, all these horses that, that lead them out and, and, and work together. We, we work our horses in strings in groups of, of three or four or 10 or 12, but they're, you know, they, they work together, but we have no pony horses. So we don't have any of the, of the twisting to one side that you see some of these horses that are being ponied and dragged down the track. Our, our work riders need to be in control of the animal all the time. And it's a different, just a different way of, of, of thinking. I've heard arguments from people saying that the horses, they do learn how to swap leads. They have to be on the right lead, but they're mm-hmm. only on the right lead on a straightaway. They're not balancing to the left and to the right in a turn on those leads. It is, I galloped racehorses. So you get them to do their right lead on the straightaway, and then they swap to the mm-hmm. left on the turn. And then right. when they straighten back up, you flip them back to their right lead, you know, and it, right. it because that lead starts to get tired, you know? Right. So it does make a lot of sense to do that. Now, do you think that maybe a lot of the problems is like to me, the European racing and what you're describing requires a lot more proper horsemanship. Is that what <laughs> um, we're missing? I mean, you can't take a ra- you can't take a three year old racehorse <clears throat> here in the United States and go canter it up a hill in a field because you will die. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it is hard to do. They are and and, to, and transitioning well, horses off the a, track, you have to learn how to do it's, that. It's a completely different different way of doing things. I mean, I, I, another thing that that I just I can't stand to look at in the American system is when they're they're led into the parade ring to be saddled and. They've got rip shanks and they just got the three people hauling them down and holding yeah. them down like it's some wild animal that the minute you let it loose, it's going to explode. And we just, we just don't have that. I mean, it's just, it's just not done here. We, we, you know, you leave them out in a, in a snaffle and, and yeah, they jump around They're They're, they're, they're excited. It's, it's racing. They know why they're there, but we do have a lot of, we do have a lot of it. It's, 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 I, I think I'd like to say it's, I don't want to say we're, better horsemen but but it's just we don't work the same and i like our way better i think it makes more sense i think we retire a lot of sound horses to go on to second careers you know i don't i don't know what to say i don't i don't want to i don't want to criticize anybody else's horse handling skills (laughs) that's okay we do it all the time yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) just post something on social media you'll get criticized yeah (laughs) yeah that's true yeah that's true so just, just try to get the horse the horse that won't load in the truck and you'll have an instant group of 20 critics who can do it better. Yeah. But, but, but it's just, it's a different system and these people are working with what they're given. And for me, it's just, you have to change the system. It's just not, it's not horse friendly. What are some of the things that we are doing right in your opinion in America? For racing? Yes. Let me see. I've never been asked that question before. (laughs) (laughs) Never heard Uh, of the compliment sandwich? (laughs) Well, I think that there are some good bloodlines there, although it's hard to tell because they've all run on, on Lasix and, and it's, uh, so the breeding, it's hard for me to judge, but there are some, there's some good breeding left in America, I'm sure, as opposed to the actual racing. All I can say, I can't say anything on the horse side of it. I can say that the way the race courses are run for the public and it's a party and you get a crowd there and that's a good thing. And we could learn something from that. I mean, in, in Europe, I, I missed the calls of the post. We don't have that here. There's the pomp and pageantry of, of the big race days that, that you do better in America than we do here. I, I do. I do like that. I grew up watching the triple crown races, you know, and, and I, it kind of breaks my heart to think that I could never train in America. Cause I just, I just don't like the system there, but 
it doesn't have to be that way. How is, because I feel like what's happening in America right now is something positive and it is the potential for people to find value in racehorses in a second career. And I've noticed through an organization that I work with here in Oklahoma that people are taking pride in retiring horses that are sound and people are taking pride in adopting and retraining. And we have shows now for just thoroughbreds. We have the big thoroughbred makeover, the retired racehorse project. And I do think that is something that is very positive. Is that's there any an, of that in an, Europe? I was just going to say, that's an excellent initiative. And there is in France, we have a, a an, an initiative now called Au Delà des Pistes, which is after the, after the track. And it was put in place in large part by Goodolphin, and they've thrown a lot of funding behind it. And we've got other organizations uh, funding it, and it's an excellent, um, an excellent way of retiring our racehorses. We have a whole series of shows, like you do now, uh, show jumping competitions reserved cool. for for uh, former racehorses. And no, they're 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 we're trying to put more emphasis on it because so many retire sound and are perfectly capable of of going on to second careers. Our main a uh, problem is educating people who are afraid of the idea of having a former racehorse. And they say that, well, listen, it's a Ferrari. And once it's a Ferrari, it's never going to change. And that's mm -hmm. just not true. I mean, we, we've, we've, and some of the horses that have been just fireballs on the track, you can, you know, you're leading them around the parade ring and they're jumping out of their skin. And you think, how is this horse ever going to go on to a second career? And you see them six months later after the feed has changed and they've been retrained and they're, they're doing a different job. And it's a pony. It's a mm -hmm. pony. It's, it's, you know, they love what they do. And, and, um, but again, it's every individual horse, you know, mm -hmm. some horses take to retirement and retraining and some horses don't. And, and, you know, we have to, we have to, it's a constant battle to try to do our best to, to place the horses that we can into the mm -hmm. careers that they're best suited for. I love it. Well, I have one final question for you. Oh, I'll have two, but this is a big one. <laughs> so I think a lot of times, at least for me, sometimes I feel a bit helpless with this type of thing of what can I do? So what would you recommend to listeners of how they can get involved to advocate for a change on the racetrack? I think there's a huge movement at the moment for change. And I think something is going to happen. There's, there's quite a bit of legislation now. And the response to a call for change has always been, ah, uh, you, you know, you people, you don't know anything. You've never been on the backside and they just sort of brush it away and it goes away. This time, the calls for change have really taken hold, and I think that it, it's um, it, it's really going to happen. And in California, because of Santa Anita, California is moving toward putting in the the tougher medication and tougher uh, vet requirements that might improve safety, and that's the way we have to go. So I think we really have to support California because Californians know that if they don't change racing there will go away. They'll, they'll, mm -hmm. it'll, they'll shut it down. I mean, look what happened to dog racing. Dog racing is practically finished because people didn't listen to what had to, what had to happen in the, in the terms of change for animal welfare. And I think change is happening now. There are a couple of, uh, of pieces of federal legislation that are being proposed. They're not perfect, but they're, they're not bad. And so I think what people need to do is call their, call their representatives and congressmen and urge them to, to pass legislation to, to, to make changes in horse racing. I know that the government has other things on its mind right now, but, but we, have well, and, to, we have to, we have to push for something. And I think people forget that the money lays with the people, you know, it comes from our bets. It comes from participation and there's a lot right. of power right. in that. And so we have a voice in this. There's a, 
There's a lot of power in betting. There's a lot of power in social media. And don't underestimate that mm-hmm. huge at the moment. But what we really have to do is, you know, it, ending racing isn't the answer. Racing, hor- let's not forget that horses need a job. And if horses don't have a job, they won't exist. Horses are here to work for us. They're not they're, this idea that there should just be a magic field where they're all running around and playing for the end of their natural life. That, that That's not going to exist. So what we need to do is be responsible stewards. We need to give them the jobs they can do. We need to work with them as partners, and we need to make sure that that we um, that we take care of them and that we keep them working best for everyone. Amen. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Gina, for coming on. This is incredibly insightful. I feel empowered, Jamie. I don't know about you, but we have one last request, if you don't mind. Would you be uh-huh. able to say you are listening to Retired Racehorse Radio in French for us? Vous êtes en train d'écouter les chaînes de les chevaux de réforme d'Écosse. I don't know I what she know. said, but it was pretty. She could have told and said we suck, but <laughs> I wouldn't know the difference. Thank you. Thank you so much, Gina. You're welcome. Historic amounts of rainfall in the U.S. have caused issues everywhere, especially when it comes to the number of pests. Protect your equine friends with Cashel Company's full line of chemical-free fly protection. The Cashel Company's Crusader Fly Mask has a patented design for maximum comfort and protection from insects and blocks 70% of UV rays. Available in an array of styles and sizes, Cashel Company's Crusader line of fly protection is a chemical-free alternative to fly sprays that contain chemicals. They're expensive, and they don't last for long periods of time. The Crusader line by Casual Company can protect your horse from head to toe. Available in fly masks, fly sheets, and fly boots. Those are called the Casual Company Crusaders leg guards. The unique adjustable design helps reduce stomping caused by insect-induced stress and fits any horse in the barn. Also, it'll save you a horseshoe bill. For more information on Cashel products, visit one of the nationwide authorized dealers or visit cashelcompany.com. Stay connected by following them on Facebook and Instagram. Well, we are talking with Justin Powers today, who is our RRP spotlight writer who's competing in the Thoroughbred Makeover this year. Justin, how are you today? Pretty good. Just trying to dodge some raindrops. I understand completely because you're in the Midwest too, correct? Yeah, located just on the Ohio, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah. The season long monsoon that we're having. Tell us. So you're a polo player, correct? Yes, ma'am. Tell us how you got involved in polo. Just a quick little brief story because give us your life story. Go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know anything about polo. I've never talked to a polo player. I'm like, this is my chance to learn. I need to know. Yeah. So I, so my, my father played professionally for about 25 years and my grandfather uh, played before him. So my grandfather is kind of the patriarch of the Powers Polo family. He started playing in the early sixties, I believe, maybe late fifties. So I'm a third generation polo player and, but specific to racing, I'm a fourth generation kind of race tracker. Really? My great grandfather owned race horses and my, my grandfather trained racehorses in the 60s and 70s and was a farrier at the track. And then my dad started as a farrier at the track in the 75 and then trained thoroughbreds in the 80s and then in the 2000s. And then I I started working at the racetrack when I was 14. I kind of lied about my age to start. (laughs) And so I spent spent a fair amount of my 
youthful teens on the backside of the track. Well, what track do you work at or did you? So I, I started a Mountaineer when I worked for my dad when I was uh, 14 and I started out holding horses for him when he was a farrier. And then when he kind of got back into racing, I worked for him, you know, grooming horses and kind of ran a little bit of the business side of, you know, racing, not so much counting profits, but trying to mitigate losses, so to speak. Um, <laughs> so he raced at Mountaineer and Thistle and Presque Isle. And then currently he's the, he's the paddock blacksmith at Mahoning. Oh, wow. That's Valley amazing. In Youngstown. Yeah. So thoroughbreds really run in your blood then, I mean, for generations. Yep. Yep. It's, I think one day, a couple of years ago, I had sat down and tried to figure out how many horses we had off the track for polo. And I got to about 300 and then I quit counting. So. Oh, man. Oh my so what does it take? Like, what do you guys look for, for a thoroughbred to become a polo horse? I have no idea what confirmation makes a good polo horse. So the, uh, it's actually pretty unique to sport horses. First and foremost, I'd say about 80% of the horses that play in polo and we call them polo ponies but that's kind of just a more of a nomenclature thing but i'd say 80 percent are fillies and mares and that's across all breeds whether it's quarter horses argentinian bred horses or american thoroughbreds Hmm. and so that's that's a big difference compared to um, a lot of sport horses and the other thing too is we we look for smaller kind of more compact build you know the quote-unquote thoroughbred that looks like a quarter horse you know, 15, 15, one, you may be a 15, two here or there, you know, kind of short neck, short back and kind of more of that traditional, you know, quarter horse typey thoroughbreds. Question. Why do mares make better polo horses than geldings or stallions? <laughs> they, they got a little more fight to them. They, so in polo, it's very much a, I mean, I, I say polo is the most natural thing a, a, a horse can do in the, in the equine sports world, you know, it's, it's eight horses on the field at once. So they're, they do in the, in the wild and they're doing flying lead changes, not simple lead changes. I didn't even know what a simple lead change was until I started doing, uh, working with retired racehorse project and they're, they're, they're running constantly, you know, if a horse is in the wild and running across the field and there was a log, the last thing in the world it would do is jump over it. It would run around it. So they, because of all that and there being a lot of traffic, you kind of have to have a horse that has a little bit of, you know, fight to it and a little bit of guts to go into plays that it may, it may not know, you know, what's on the other. So the, the Phillies and Mares have a little more, I, I call it fight. You know, some people call it piss and vinegar and you can have that out of. <laughs> I call it mare power. Yeah. I have all mares, uh, so I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. But that being said, you know, good gelding is a, is a good gelding. Uh, also geldings. I mean, we, we, we deal with buildings just because I think people that deal with stallions that are running a breeding operation are delusional. Thank but you. Geldings take, uh, they take a little longer to make, you know, they kind of, they have that kind of, uh, doughy mind a little bit. So you have to kind of do more Aww. repetition. The, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the Phillies and Mares seem to pick it up a lot quicker. Yeah. Well, that's um, cool. Yeah. So what do you do at your farm? you just teach polo or do you just do exhibition polo or are you like, you know, I guess I have two questions. What do you do at your farm? And is it a requirement for all polo players to be completely hot? 
Is it a thing? Like, do you sign something? I'm glad you asked it, Jamie, because I wanted to. <laughs> like, is there something you have to like test for? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I, if that's a requirement, I must have been grandfathered in on that one. Uh, so <laughs> at our farm, we, you know, we closely aligned with the Darlington Polo Club, which percentage of membership is probably the most active polo club and retired racehorse. Uh, Mike and Andrea Grubertz, who also participate, are members of the along obviously with my sister and my dad, who are past competitors. My sister this year is actually doing a team, uh, doing the team competition in polo with uh, her polo school. So we um, we run a, kind of like a family run horse operation. My sister teaches riding lessons, and her and I teach polo lessons. And then at any given time, we probably have anywhere from six to eight horses off the track that are in training. We have, a, I think, 22 horses on the farm right now. And I think I'm going to kind of estimate this. I want to say 15 are off the track. So um, right now we have seven horses under the age of seven. At wow. the farm. Um, Why do you think that off the track thoroughbreds are, are giving you an advantage? Why is that your go-to polo horse? <laughs> well, it's, it's always been our go-to because we've kind of had an endless supply of them with that being at the track. And, you know, ironically, actually, two of the horses I'm playing right now and kind of working, they're in their second season. My dad actually trained both of them in racing, which is pretty cool. Um, it's not cool for him because they suffer. They suffered from what's called on the racetrack, you know, NT disease, no talent. So they <laughs> end up being full of, full of ponies. But, no, I mean, I think it's, you know, they're, it's, it's kind of what we do. I mean, there's other people that do other breeds, you know, Argentinian breeds or, you know, quarter horses, but, you know, we're kind of all in on thoroughbreds and, you know, our approach is a little bit different than most. Um, you know, my, my approach, you know, people say talk about horsemanship and they, when they talk about horsemanship, they really talk about, you know, under bridle and in, in the saddle um, horsemanship. But I kind of think more of like, Maybe Tick Menard would agree with me. I'm halfway through his book. I got to finish it here. So that's a shameless plug for Tick's. Oh, yeah. Book. We love but Tick. But I, I think nice more, book. I think more of horsemanship is like letting the horse be a horse, you know? So ours are turned out 24 hours a day, 12 months out of the year. You know, in the winter, you know, we don't ice their ankles because they're up to a foot in snow, you know, in the wintertime. But it's like letting the horse kind of be more in its natural environment. Um, I hate, I hate box stalls. I think box stalls are the worst invention in the history of the world, just mainly from kind of a sanity standpoint with horses, you know, it'd be like taking a human and putting them in a, in a phone booth for 20 some hours out of the day. So, um, our, ours all live, you know, out in pastures and live in big groups as well. You know, it's nothing for us to have 15 horses, you know, turned out together at a time, you know, that kind of, I think, scares some people, but once the horses get used to it, I, I think it's kind of, you know, it's better for them. They, you know, they get their mm -hmm. daily exercise, you know, kind of moving as a herd. That's a fortunate thing to have at your farm for sure. So tell us about your makeover horse. I will be there as well. My horse will not be in the polo division, <laughs> but I'm assuming you're going to compete in that in the other divisions and tell us about your horse. So my horse, we got off the track in... I think January and I've, I, I feel bad. I can't even remember what her name is right now. I call her PT. That's what her initials are, but she was, she raced at Mahoning 
valley racetrack and a little bit of mountaineer and got her off the track i've only probably got about probably 10 rides on her so far um but she's really kind of she has a lot of sense to her seems to have a pretty good mind and is picking up everything pretty quick so i'm kind of give take giving her a little bit of time off not you know not pushing her letting her kind of get back to being a horse which is kind of a big to me that's part of the process is when they come off the racetrack you know letting them become a horse again is important before you kind of put them into training or pushing them too much you know letting them kind of relax get used to not eating omeline 500 and alfalfa and get used to eating you know grass and not eating out of bucket and stuff like that so so i'll probably start we have a big benefit coming up called the gen and tonic um this weekend and then after that i'm going to start you know putting putting more time into it into her and um you know so from a training standpoint there's obviously going to be a lot of you know movement training you know working on lateral you know lateral movement working on lead changes you know neck reining stuff like that but then also we'll do a lot of trail riding, just kind of desensitize the horse and then start getting her into traffic pretty quick. People think the mallet is like a big aspect of introducing the mallet to the horse. I've, for whatever reason, I've kind of found it's not that big of a deal. Horses kind of get used to it pretty quick. It seems like the biggest thing at our farm is getting them you know, used to like, we have this big rock in the middle of our driveway, like off the side of our driveway. Oh, this reason. deadly, scary rock. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like a five ton rock. It's not going anywhere, but it seems like the thoroughbreds tend to get pretty scared of it quick. Oh yeah. This is a pond. There that's, are monsters behind rocks. <laughs> well, tell us about the gin and tonic before we have to let you go. So it's, um, it's a benefit match, uh, in honor of my sister who passed away uh, a couple years ago and it supports STEM education in Northeast Ohio. And it's a polo match, but it's more of a, you know, it's more of a party. My sister was not a rider, but she was an avid fan of, obviously, polo by requirement, but uh, racing as well. She was actually married on Derby Day, so we had a big Derby party. And this year, we'll probably have, there'll probably be about, let's see, let me do the math real quick. There'll probably be about 32 horses competing in the the event that day. And I'm Mm going to say probably three quarters of those, if not more, will all be off the track thoroughbreds. That's and, wonderful. And including, I mean, not just ours, uh, Mike, Mike Grubert will be playing all of his horses are off the track. And then we have a team traveling in from Detroit and a lot of their horses are off the track. Although, it, you know, kind of becoming few and far between since, you know, the race tracks up in Michigan have seen to be closing every day. Sad day. Yeah. So. Well, but that's, that's it. Well, we, just ride a bunch of thoroughbreds all day and try not to get bucked off. <laughs> well, where can people get tickets to the Gen and Tonic? Uh, they can buy it. They can go to genandtonicpoloevent.com um, okay. or the easiest way. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Justin, for coming on today. I love the name Gen and Tonic Polo. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about polo or this and it's event? J E N, by the way, yes, not Gen and Tonic. Gen and Tonic. And we'll have we'll have signature cocktails available at the event. If you want to learn more about polo in general, they can go to uspolo.org. I actually work for the United States Polo Association as well. And and then our family kind of polo website is powerspolo.com. Um, I'm going to start posting, you know, things, kind of a, a uh, history of, or a, what's the word I'm looking for, a chronicle of the road to RRP 2019 awesome. on there moving forward. So. 
Very cool. Well, thank you again. And I think, Jamie, we're going to take a field trip and maybe do a polo lesson or something with Justin eventually. It sounds I like fun. I am in. Sounds good. <laughs> well, we, we'll just take a side polo lesson at the makeover. Come on. We'll do That's it. Fun. We're both going to yeah, be there. Yeah, we'll be there. Uh, y'all, y'all are, I'm assuming, are all riders, right? Sometimes, I would hope so at this point, most yeah. of the time, right. <laughs> most well, days. You know, the, the family saying is for good riders, we have good horses. For bad riders, we have bad horses. And for those that don't ride, we have horses that don't like to be ridden. Perfect. Excellent. Well, we'll be there. It'll be fun. <laughs> Thank you so much, Justin, for coming on. And uh, we'll see you at the makeover. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, right. Justin. Bye. Well, welcome back, Sonia, for another equestrian must-haves from Riding Warehouse. I'm just telling you, I've been sweating and getting sunburns like crazy, been outside riding, which is great. I shouldn't complain living in Michigan with all the winter weather we had just a couple months ago. But I would love to know, do you have any products that are going to help me from just coming in like a lobster? <laughs> I totally feel you there. And, you know, my mom's a dermatologist, so she's always been after me about those rays and skin cancer. May was recently Skin Cancer Awareness Month, so we're very excited about some of the new things we brought in. And first up, I want to talk about Block UV. So all of their clothes are UPS 50+, plus, which means they're blocking 98% of UVA and UV rays. So what we actually carry from them right now are crop tops, which I know it sounds a little weird, and I was pretty skeptical about it at first, but they're actually really cute. And if you're like me, a little rebellious sometimes, and you like to wear tank tops around the barn or when you ride, it's really nice because you can just put this over your tank your tank top. Uh, my colleague Katie actually reviewed one both in the saddle and when she was out on a run, and she only had really, really great things to say. And you can see the full video review on our blog. So for things like that, it's really nice to see these new products out in action out of the barn. Very cool. I definitely wouldn't think of a crop top being something like that. But hey, I mean, hot summer days, it might be the perfect solution to that. What else do we got going on? So another new brand we got in is called Indique. And they actually specialize solely on seamless UV tops. It's the only thing they carry. And these features use the 30 plus protection, but they're also proven to lower your body temperature, not your skin temperature, by up to one degree. Celsius, which is actually a pretty decent amount of cooling. And they are on the expensive side. And again, I was skeptical as to why I would need another cooling UV shirt because on the surface, it just seems like another sun shirt. But then I tried one on and <laughs> I now own three, side note, but there's just something about that silky soft material because this has got to be hands down my favorite top right now. So those are actually pretty cool. So these Anique, Anique is the brand, correct? Yes, it's A-N-I-Q-U-E. Okay, that, I just think that's so awesome. I think our endurance riders especially could really benefit from something like that or anyone who's going to be riding on a hot show day in the summer. So that's something to keep in mind of just being able to lower that body temp. And so, I mean, speaking of our endurance riders who are probably all on the sun shirt game, what else oh, do we yeah. have? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, another thing I wanted to add about the Anik tops, I'm a hunter jumper rider and you are hugely popular on the hunter jumper circuit because they've got that rose gold zipper that kind of pretty design but i actually did my first endurance ride not too long ago it was 50 miles i was blissfully sore at the end of it but i actually ended up wearing this shirt for over 20 hours including sleeping riding driving and i do not think any other shirt i own would have fared better oh wow okay you sat for 20 hours i just 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's like mind blowing yep. to me. <laughs> yep. I have no shame in admitting that. Oh man. Well, that's awesome. I mean, if it protected you for that, I can't say I could do 20 hours in the saddle, but we have some really BA endurance riders who can do that and more. So check out all of the sun shirts, all of the UV protection at www.ridingwarehouse.com. Sonia, thank you again for coming on today. Well, Jamie, we got a lot of answers when I posted on the Facebook page with our auditors of what do you want to know of how to train your off the track thoroughbred? And I think we have some questions that you should be able to answer since you're a certified trainer. Oh, yes. We'll see. Are you going to try to stump me? It can be done. Go ahead. Uh, (laughs) Who do we have? (laughs) So uh, Courtney asks, what's the very first thing you do when your OTTB arrives? Bet it, get it a massage, do some groundwork, hope and pray for your life. All things we've asked. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The very first thing that I do when my OTTB arrives at my house, um, you know, the first thing I'm going to do is take it to a stall and put on the other side of the stall. It's it's neighbor or buddy. That's going to be in the pasture with them. I don't just take them and like, throw them out in the pasture and say, sort it out guys. I try to introduce them mm-hmm. before there's the horses can see each other very clearly in, in my stalls. Uh, that is the first thing. The next thing I would do is I want these, these guys, when they come right off the track, they need downtime. Two weeks is minimum as just go hang out, be turned out, do your thing. You know, I don't just throw them out and ignore them. I do bring them in a couple hours. You know, they've, they've got to come down off of all the food that they've been eating and they can lose weight really quick. So you're going to still like taper off whatever concentrates and food they had. So you're not making a huge change. Um, You know, you want to be able to slowly mix in what they were eating with what you're going to feed. Another thing I would do. I mean, you know, let's be honest, these guys all have ulcers. I mean, if not, like, if they don't is one chill dude, because most of the horses coming off the track have ulcers. So that is something that you really want to consider and think about. And as far as she, I think she asked about groundwork. I start everything when they come back in after their two weeks to a month off, I bring them in and we start from scratch because a lot of times, a lot of the stuff, Joy, and you know, you know, these, a lot of time isn't spent with these horses. It's like, get them in, get them on, get on, get on, do the work, bring them back in to hot walk them and put them back in the stall. So a lot of times they don't have a lot of patience. They're not standing. They don't lead they don't tie you know they're just they they can be kind of monsters it's you don't know what you got to find all the gaps you're learning all the quirks as you're going through too so pretend like this is a horse that you I mean you have just met them really but pretend they have zero training at all because the chances they don't I put them in a round pen and I get uh, a join up and you know join up is something that you can do to let your horse know that you know what I speak your language. I get, we're going to mm-hmm. be able to communicate. And I really think it makes a huge difference after you get a proper join up and the, the things going past that, you know, then I tack them up and I'm like, Hey, how do they stand to get tacked? How are they with the girth? Are they girthy? How do they take the bit? And then I long line them. How are they with lines behind them? How do they turn? Because I teach them all to turn mm-hmm. on the long lines. I long line everything before in the round pin, just so they can learn how to give to pressure and you know yeah. they, the, a, a racehorse if you pick up the reins and you put pressure in their mouth that to a racehorse means go 
So you have to reprogram their, their brain. So I've probably given a lot of things that I do the first time. It's to be honest, it's the most fun thing in the world to do. It is so fun to get a horse off the track and go, okay, what do you know? How do you do it? The other well, thing is no horse like dating, right? You're like, yeah. oh, I get to know a new person for the I first time and I get to be awkward with you. Or it's girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing they never do is stand still when you mount them because riders are tossed off while, tossed mm-hmm. up while the horses are walking. So that is another thing I do first. Almost one of the first things I do is teach them to come to the mounting block. And if you haven't seen any videos of that, I'll try to post a video of a horse coming to the mounting block on retired racehorse radio, Facebook page this week. And so you guys can see what I'm talking about. Literally you stand on the mounting block and the horse like side passes over to you. That's something I also work on almost first. So I hope I gave you enough uh, Courtney to think about. I also want to add in too, just to add a little bit, so I got my horse from new vocation. So this is a horse who's been off the track for a little bit, but I, I still recommend treating them the same way, even though they've had their downtime, still give them a little time to adjust at the farm. I, I gave my horse about a week of just getting her into her routine and help working with her, just taking her for walks every day and yes. just letting her see the That'd property. Yeah. You're, you are getting to know each other. You're complete strangers. And I don't think it's necessarily fair to hop on. I also really do like to get a chiropractor and a massage for my horses before I start working with them just to know if they have any pains or anything. Cause I want the experience to be really positive. If you can get a saddle fitter, that's awesome. And then as make sure their as, feet are done. Yeah. You want to make sure their barriers it, Yeah. Done. Oh my gosh. So I, mm-hmm. with Drax, uh, the last one I got off the track, his uh, name is Nuisance. That's his jockey club name. He yeah. came to me with <laughs> no front shoes, but hind race plates. And immediately he got heel grabs, like the, the toe clips. There's like clips, basically cleats almost on racehorse shoes. And he because he didn't have any on the front, his back feet in the stall could slice his heel bulbs in the front. So yeah, get a farrier out as yeah. soon as possible. And as far as vetting it, you should have vetted it probably before you got it home. Yeah. If you have the ability to, <laughs> you know, sometimes it can't happen, but also if you don't vet it, be prepared for some things. You can um, vet a horse on the racetrack. You can, it's, yeah. it's possible. So anyway, Courtney, those are some of the first things I would do. It's a lot of fun and it is, you know what? It makes it's me well worth it. it. Yeah. It's well worth it. I think you need to calm down for a minute. <laughs> I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the voice of reason. Chad can't be sometimes. That's true. <laughs> All right. We have a next question from Caroline. Any tips for encouraging a horse to bend around my leg instead of bending around the rein? I think I've got a two by four instead of a horse sometimes. Wow. You know, some my horses, they're more like spaghetti noodles with their neck. I, you know, you, my you horse couldn't pull. go straight for like three months. It was just yeah. a wiggle worm. It does <laughs> take some time. Exactly. Now there's, there's, you want to think of a horse when you're teaching it things like this, as you don't, like if you're climbing a ladder, you're not going to start three quarters of the way up the ladder. You're going to start at the first step and slowly work your way up the ladder. So a horse that isn't moving off your leg while you're traveling, you know, like say you're heading into the corner and you want to add a little inside leg to get that ribs cage to kind of push out and then have them tracking up underneath themselves and march. Yeah. They don't know how to do that. Um, so you have to teach them horses are naturally into pressure. If you put like you push on them, they're going to come towards you. And have you ever done that joy? You understand when you, when you like, yeah. 
your horse is in the cross ties and you're like, scoot over and they just lean on you. Mm-hmm. That's because there's like millions of years in their DNA that tells them to do that. So, and, and I can explain why, but you, you have to teach the horses to kind of go away from pressure. Everything you do is teaching your horse to move away from pressure. You pull, you know, you pull on the halter to get them to walk forward. When they come forward, they get slack. That's coming off mm-hmm. pressure. You're asking him to go into a trailer. You're pu- you pull in lead rope. They get into the trailer. They got slack. You know, everything you do is teaching horse. You add leg and they go forward and you quit adding leg. Yeah. So got to have they- that timing. Yeah. And it's timing and you have timing. Everybody has timing because otherwise they wouldn't have a horse, you know? So you've got to transfer that timing to in the saddle. And the, the exercise that I do is I take the horse into the corner. And I put their nose in the corner and I take, you know, I like to think of horses have like to be simplistic three quadrants from like in front of their shoulder to their nose, their shoulders, and then just behind your leg all the way back to the tail. That's like the third quadrant. So I want each of these things to move independently. I want the hindquarters to move independently. So I put their nose in the corner, takes away forward motion, take my leg, like say, take my left leg back three inches and put it on the horse. And I'm going to hold my leg on there until the horse moves away from it. And you know what your horse is going to do when you put that leg on it, they're going to some just ignore it, which is you need to pulse it a little bit, like get their attention, but you put that leg on and they're going to back up. They're going to go forward. They're going to go right. They're going to, and as soon as they move their hips away from that pressure in their side with your leg, say left leg, And as soon as they move their hips over to the right, release the pressure and praise and praise and rub them. Mm -hmm. Don't pat them. Don't smack them. They don't like being smacked, but like rub their neck and just say, you're so good. Mm -hmm. And then you do the, uh, you know, do that three or four times till they're all the way pressed over. And then you use your right leg, take it back a couple inches and ask them to move off pressure. Hold that, hold it, hold it. They move. Great. Release the pressure. Once you, you can take your horse out of the corner up to just a wall and you can get them to pivot all the way around, then turn them around, put your leg right where the girth is, where your leg sits and start to ask their shoulders to move over. Use an opening leading rein. Like I'd open my right rein a couple inches off the horse's neck and put my left leg on it. Don't let them walk forward. As soon as they move their right front to the right or their shoulders to the right, release pressure. So you've got, then you've got a horse who you can put your leg back a little bit, move the hips over. You can put your leg right on the girth and move the shoulders over. Then get over a pole on the ground, you know, just a jump pole and, and side pass over those slowly at first, but you know, asking them to go side to side and get them to move off pressure. And then all of a sudden when you're walking forward and you ask them to bend a little bit, pick up that inside rein, squeeze it like it's a sponge. You put that inside leg on and you want them to bend their rib cage away from your leg. They know what you're talking about. So hopefully that gives you a good exercise to start doing. Take them in the corner, put some leg on, get them to move off the pressure, release the pressure. I love it. Thanks, Jamie. And Absolutely. if you guys have questions on how to train your thoroughbreds or even your standard breads, if you have an off the track standard, you know bread. what? I started thinking too, we haven't talked about quarter horse race horses. So 
Oh, Porter Jamie. horses as well. We got there's ideas in this brain. There's so <laughs> many ideas. The show, I hope you're ready to go for a long time. I'm ready. <laughs> but if you want your questions answered, it's super easy. You can become an auditor on Horse Radio Network. You want to go to patreon.com, search for Horse Radio Network. It's a dollar a month. Oh, you can just go to horseradionetwork.com and join. Can you do there. that now? Yes, yes, yes. You can do oh that. Oh my gosh. And also you can just send me an email, Jamie at horseradionetwork.com yeah. if you have a, a, a question or joy at horseradionetwork.com and we'll try to get to it and we'd be happy to answer any questions that we can and we've already got some saved up for next time too Woo-hoo. joy how many times have you been that guy in the grocery store line with your boots and breeches on and you know you smell of horse and you've got like your tall boots and you're probably you know just uncomfortable and people are staring at you wondering what you've done and why you look like that have you are you that guy uh, normally every week. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So there is a, there's an alternative to riding and wearing your clothes out. And, uh, that's a to boots and breeches. There's a pair of jeans that you can ride in every day. And then you can muck stalls. You can go to the grocery store. You can stand in the checkout line and people will still smell you, but they won't know it's you. And <laughs> that is by getting some smooth stride riding jeans. They're riding jeans with no inseam. Okay. There's no inseam at all. Chafing is a thing of the past. They're as comfortable as breeches and they look, they wash, they wear just like regular jeans. They also have, you know, some knee patch and some full seat riding jeans, extended Mm -hmm. knees. There are plenty of different options and And fit true to size. How important is that? Ladies, you know. Yeah, we know. We know. Smooth Stride is owned by a rider, Desiree Johnson. Desiree is a, an accomplished three-day eventer, instructor, and trainer, and she owns the company. And you guys want to check it out. So when you when you buy some jeans from her, she sends you two sizes with a postage-paid envelope to send back the one that doesn't fit. So they are true to size, and she makes sure that you are comfortable with the performance, the comfort, the fit, and the style. So check them out at smoothstride.com. And from the back of the pack on the outside, commanding firm is taken second, but California Chrome shines right in the Kentucky Derby. And now it's time for the new vocations, Winter Circle Adoptable Horse of the Week. It is that time in the episode where we get to hear about a horse that can be all yours. It is time for the New Vocations Winter Circle Adoptable Horse of the Week. And we've got the head trainer at New Vocations, Leandra, on. Hello, Leandra. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Now tell me who I need to come and take home with me. (laughs) Well, Midnight Shine is our featured guy today. He is an eight-year-old gelding who raced 68 times and retired without any injuries. Wow. So if that doesn't tell you a little bit about the kind of athlete he is, then I don't know what does. But on top of all of that, you've got a horse in a beautiful package. So he stands at 16 hands. He's a bay. And he's built like a superstar athlete. So he has a nice big muscular shoulder, a shorter back, a beautiful croup, and stands pretty darn straight for his age and his racing record and just just everything you could want in a really nice package. 
And even alongside that, he's got a pretty rock star lineage. So he is sired by Indigo Shiner, whose dad was AT&D. So you have that whole amazing athletic bloodline. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, you've got some other older, nice, athletic, sport horsey bloodline that really speak to what this guy is capable of. So we're pretty fond of him, you could say. <laughs> you know what? I've got to say, too, I love the War Horses because it tells you, if they can race that many times, they are sound and they are steady and they have seen a lot. So those are some of the things that really, you know, I'm sure the people, I don't want a lightly raced horse. That's fine. I have a couple of those, too. But mm-hmm. it is just a really big benefit to having a war horse that's had that many races, you know, they're tough, you know, they can compete and be a competitor for a long period of time. And also that what they've seen and what they've done is just awesome. So and tell us actually on that note, I'll just piggyback on that by saying he actually raced in 10 different States and 16 different tracks. So oh you have gosh. a horse who is sort of a jet setter in his time and has been there, done that, literally been there everywhere. And <laughs> he's done been that. there. So he is well-traveled and is still, with all of that, will stand in a stall quietly sleeping half the day, will be quiet while you fuss on him, when the farrier's working on him, while you're bathing him, and everything to boot. And he's Kentucky bred, so he's kind of circled right back home. That's great. Now, the adoption fees, I'm on New Vocations website, which is horseadoption.com, and I'm noticing some sort of trend with the adoption fees. Yes. So right now, for June, we have a 50% off adoption fee special. So Fire sale. adopted. <laughs> If they go home before the 30th of this month, so if they go home before the end of June, you're getting the 50% off adoption fees. So $1,000 turns into $500. You can take home one of these all-star athletes. And it's not like they were super crazy expensive in the first place. And now you just get, that's like free money. It's it's like they're giving them away. It's like they're free. Okay. (laughs) And I'm in love with mama's red hat and money thief. Oh my gosh. They're so pretty. Yeah. They're gorgeous. I'm on your website. This is, this is where I derail the show because joy and I just get so enamored with all your babies. So again, the website is horseadoption.com. Tell us our racehorses name. Midnight Shine. We call him Mr. Shine. Mr. Mr. Shine. I love it. Midnight Shine. Check him out on horseadoption.com. New vocations. He's at the Kentucky, Kentucky New Vocations. They're all over the place now. So congratulations and thank you for coming on. Thank you. So nice to chat. You can find our show notes and links to today's guest on the website at retiredracehorseradio.com. Like us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Retired Racehorse Radio. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. 
You can send me an email, jamie at horseradionetwork.com. Joy is joy at horseradionetwork.com. Or you can find her on Instagram at joyhequestrian. And uh, also, we want to thank our sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products, Riding Warehouse, Smooth Stride Jeans, and Cashel. And please don't forget to check out the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Or we have an app. It has all the shows on it. That's just HRN. And it's free. Yeah, and it's free. Search for Horse Radio Network in your app store. Don't forget to love and learn from every ride. And spay, neuter, and gelp. Bye.